singing this. Morning, church. How are you going? Good. Great. Question for you. What's going to make you happy? What do you think is going to make you happy? I'm sure you've got thoughts. I'm sure you've got ideas. I'm sure you've talked about it with friends. What's going to make you happy? I don't know what your circumstance is, but if you could, you know, if I could have this or have that, if I could change this, change that, what's going to make you happy? Think about it. Five seconds. What's going to give you a happy life? What does the world say is going to give you a happy life, make you happy? Well, I'm getting some answers. I love that. Money. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. Anyone else want to share? Travel. I did that. I tried that. Health. Peace. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. I was uh, watching a YouTube last night uh, from the contemporary philosopher and author, um, Alain de Botton. You might have read some of his books. He offers nine secrets for happiness. I'll give you three. Stop being hopeful. Sounds ironic. Throw your phone off a cliff. <laughs> That'd bring you some happiness for a time, I'm sure. Give up on the idea that uh, you should be normal, everybody's weird, and that's okay. <laughs> Helpful thoughts, I thought. Uh, but today I want to talk about some, a deep kind of happiness. A happiness where your mobile phone doesn't need a new screen. A real kind of happiness that lasts. And I want to talk about it because I think we're all looking for it. Let's be honest. We're all pursuing happiness. And we're all trying different things. We've mentioned some already. But the risks are too great if we get it wrong. And I also want to talk about it because the Bible talks about happiness. The Bible talks about finding happiness. In fact, this psalm that Sandra read out to us, and hopefully one day we'll sing, mentions happiness more than any other psalm in the Psalms. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it mentions it three times in a very short amount of space. And I, I want to look at those three times. It, it says in our Bibles, blessed are those who... Uh, but it, it literally just means happy are those who. And I'm going to use those as our guide, as our answer to find out what will make you happy. Verse 4 is the first one. Have a look. It says, happy are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. What will make you happy? If you make God your home. Make God your home. That will make you happy. I wonder what home is for you or where home is for you. I'm not talking about your physical house. I probably have your postcode on our little system. <laughs> I'm talking about home is where the heart is. I'm talking about where your deepest longings and affections lie. Where you place your, your dreams. Where's your home? What's home to you? One way to ask 
one way to find out where your home is to ask is to ask the question, what do you get emotional about? What really gets you going? It's one way to do a little pulse check on your love life, on where your home is. What do you get emotional about? The psalmist, he gets emotional. I don't know whether you noticed, but we're reading a, a poem. We're reading poetry. It's a kind of emotional language, isn't it? Um, the, the Bible's not just a textbook with a bunch of ideas about this cosmic idea. It's not just a rule book. It's more like a love letter. I'm not making this up. Read verse 1 with me. Psalm 84, I'll read it. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. He's not saying how charming, how nice. Look at what you've done with the... I love what, what you've done with the walls... This is love language. How lovely is your dwelling place? He's saying, my heart is where God is. He's getting excited about seeing God. He's getting emotional about it. And look at his, his other emotions. Verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He's experiencing longing. This isn't just fluffy love. This is desperation. This is agonizing love. He's at distance from God and it's killing him. When was the last time your heart ached for God? Why does he feel this way about God? Why does he have God as his home? Why is his heart with God? I think it's because he's realized God is the only place... God, is, God alone is his only true home, the only real place where his, his longings will be met. Have a look at verse 3. Even the sparrow has found a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar. For the bird, God's temple has become a home. It's become a place of rest. After flittering and fluttering, all day, I was riding my bike to church this morning. I was listening to the song of the birds in the morning. And I realized they don't have a home. You know, maybe this year it's in one tree. This year, the next. This is a place of rest. The bird has found a home. It's a place where she has a nest for herself. A security. Protection. It's a place where she can have her young. It's about hope for the future. She's found that. A bird has found that. And it's near your altar, a place where she's not missing out of any of the action. This is the most important place in the temple. It's a place of forgiveness, a place where she finds peace with God. Now you've got to admit, a bird in a temple um, sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Either the temple is unkept or we're missing something about the owner that we need to grasp. And that is that he is willing to have anyone from any background, from anywhere, with any history of any type, he's willing to have them with him. He's willing to love and accept them and welcome them. 
He's willing to make them feel at home with him. There are lots of things that are lovely in life, but you want to make sure that the the one thing you're pursuing, the one thing you're going to put your heart in, give your heart a home, can withstand your deepest longings and desires, can, can meet and fulfill your desires to be loved and accepted, to have security, to have protection and peace, to have rest. What are you putting that in? The only one who can handle that and not disappoint you is God himself. Make God your home. What's going to make you happy? Make God your home. Number two, what's the second thing we find out in this psalm about what's going to make us happy? Verse 5, it says, Happy are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. What will make you happy? Make God your strength. Make God your strength. Why? Because He is always there. His love goes on and on and on and on. You may have picked up this psalm is about a journey. It's about a pilgrimage. The faithful Israelite going from his home, leaving that, and going to worship God at his temple. But on the way there, he has to go through a valley. And it's called the Valley of Baca. It's there in verse 6. It's often translated the thirsty valley. This is a desert with no water. The valley of Baca is not a pleasant valley. It's rock bottom. It's struggle street. Have you been there? It's up the creek. It's times in life where you look around you and everything that you lent on to get you to this place is gone. Your tank is empty. You're high and dry. The psalm says the faithful child of God will go through the valley of Baca, but it doesn't have to take away your happiness. Now, I'm not talking about you not being sad. We're talking about a deep happiness. Some translators translate Baca as the valley of weeping, the valley of tears. But rather than being an obstacle to you finding happiness, it can be a source of blessing in your life, a source of happiness. How does that happen? The pilgrim says, verse 6, As they pass, they make it a place of springs. How is it a place of springs? How do they make it a place of springs? Well, if you've put your hope in money, in health, in travel, in family, in friends, in work, in the next promotion, if you've placed your strength in those things, what happens when those things are taken from you? Because those things can be taken from you, can't they? But if you remember that the Christian life is about you and God and His family together, If you remember that his love goes on and on and on and on. If you put your strength in God, he can never leave you. So if you lose all of those other things, you can still find happiness because you still have him. That's what the psalmist is saying. Blessed are those whose strength is in him. Let me tell you about somebody who had the best education 
They learned from the highest to the high. They were taught by, by them. They had many friends. They had a great job. In fact, they were a bit of an entrepreneur, making a way for themselves. Uh, and they had a, a reputation for themselves, a great name, not just in their city, in their work, but all around. Uh, but then they met God. And the consequence of that was that they lost their job. Uh, they lost their friends. In fact, their friends wanted to kill them. Uh, their education seemed useless. Nobody respected them. They lost everything. But he had God. And he found strength. That's the Apostle Paul's story. And even in jail, even in persecution, when he had nothing, he could say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me. You are happy if you make God your strength because you can still find what you need when everything else is gone. So, how are you going to be happy? What's going to make you happy? Make God your home. Make God your strength. And finally, make God the one you trust. Have a look, that's in verse 12. Blessed is the one, happy is the one who trusts in you. It can be really hard to trust God, can't it? To trust what He has for us is what's best. To trust that He alone will truly satisfy our needs. I don't know about you, that's my experience, maybe daily. Verse 10, it says, Better is one day in God's presence than a thousand others. Really? Better is one day with God than a thousand others. I was talking to a friend yesterday uh, under the beautiful sun in the Botanic Gardens, and she was telling me that she's thinking about taking four months off work to just do what she wants, you know? And I thought, oh, wow. And she said, oh, maybe I'll take a year. I thought, 365 days, what I could do with that. Psalmist is talking about three years. Better is one day with God than three years without Him. Let me give you two reasons from the text that I think we don't trust God. The first is, I think, because we think every way is okay. Every other way is okay. You follow God, but I think we're schooled to think that life is full of good, better, and best. Every option's okay, you know. Um, you can choose this way, and that'll be all right. Choose, going God's way, you know, I know that'd be best for me, but this way feels right, it seems good. I'm sure the consequences won't be too bad. I'll go this way. Have a look at uh, verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, that's halfway through verse 10, than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I think often we forget that there's actually a comparison. There's only two ways to live, with God or without Him. And if you're living with God, that's good and that's satisfying and He will meet your needs. If you live without Him, actually, that's what the Bible calls wickedness. It's not good, better and best. It's best and worse. They're your choices. The second reason that I think we uh, don't trust God, and the psalmist wants to remind us in verse 11, it's because of, we forget who God is. And the psalmist wants to remind us of who God is. 
We forget that the great Christian hope is beyond our wildest dreams. We get to be with God. Listen to what he's like. He's a son. Verse 11, he's a son. He's the source of life and light. That's what it means. You want life? God's the son. He makes life happen. And he gives life meaning. He's light. He says... God is a sun and a shield. He's our protection. He protects us wherever you are. Whatever step along the way, He protects you. You want life and life insurance? God's the ultimate. He'll give you that. And in verse 11 it says, No good thing does He withhold. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, I think the psalmist has um, lured us in and got us here. This is the pin in the grenade. I'm not always blameless. So how can I make sure my life's going to be happy? What about you? I know I often don't make God my home all the time. I don't put my trust in God. I don't find my strength in God. I rely on other things. Is this happiness for me? Well, this is why the Christian message is such good news. Because the New Testament says, the Bible says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus Christ was the only blameless one. And for those of us who, are, who deserve the blame, Jesus took our blame on the cross so that we might be blameless before God. If you trust in him. That's the price he paid for us. That's what he's won for us. He's won our happiness in God. You may have noticed that the last line in this, verse 12, it says, blessed is the one. Previously it's just said, blessed are those. But now he wants to make it personal. And right now I want to drive this home for you and for me. This is a personal thing. Are you experiencing happiness in God. Is this your experience? Can it be your experience? Make God your home. Make God your strength. Make God the one you trust in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a home for the bird. You are strength for those going through the valley of Baca. And Lord, you give good things to those who are blameless. So help us to trust in you for our happiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.